Blog Talk Radio. Ladies, you can find me there. Try to say it, we gon' start a fight up in it. I 
All right, Christina, thank you for that dance break. And welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Medic. Get your daily dose of Diva Inspiration at Diva Medic's Facebook pages. Follow me on Twitter or check out all my videos on YouTube. Tonight, we're talking about our upcoming fifth annual Diabetes Mystery Podcast entitled Swan Lake. And I thought we'd kick off the show by talking to two of my leading ladies. Please welcome to the show Patricia Addy Gentle and Mama Rosemary. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Hi, Hi Patricia. Hi. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, great. You know, we've you. been getting a lot of mail about this upcoming mystery podcast since I posted it on social media, so I thought I'd reach into the Diva mail bag and have you guys answer some questions with me. Are you up for the challenge? Well, sure. We're trying. <laughs> All right, and remember, if you have a question for us, you could email me at mrdivabetic at gmail.com. That's mrdivabetic at gmail.com, and we'll try to answer your questions on one of our upcoming podcasts. All right, so ladies, uh, here's a question from Sylvia from Scranton, PA. What's your favorite moment from one of the earlier podca- mystery podcasts? How about you, Patricia? Do you have a favorite moment that you could remember? Um, I, I kind of like the the scene where uh, Mama Rose was on stage to shake her tail feather. You're <laughs> taking that away from me, Patricia. <laughs> from Gypsies, Tramps, and Peas, last year's yes. podcast. How about you, Mama Rosemary? You were a, you became a burlesque dancer, and I think the message in that was proving to everyone that you're never too old to try a new thing. So what was one of your favorite memories? <laughs> Well, that was one of them. That's definitely a um, a hit. I mean, way off. But one of my other things was we we had that okra um, um, play that time, the mystery play with the okra. And being in the South, okra is so big. And I remember when you were here and we saw the festival okra strut. And um, and I do not like okra. So this year we're doing cheesecake, and I'd much rather have a cheesecake festival than an okra festival. So, That's true. Um, so the, po- <laughs> the podcast you're talking about is our second one, which was Phantom of the Okra, and we went to Central Park right. Markets, and we had to investigate a murder in an okra field. But there was something different about that okra field. We won't give that away. You could tune into both of those podcasts on a demand mm-hmm. at Blog Talk Radio. I think my favorite moment was, one of my favorite moments was in Suspect Boulevard where we had to open a combination lock using um, carbohydrate ca- counts. I, I always love that scene. Mm. That it, it reminds me that we had to go into a safe and we had to use carbohydrate counts to figure out how to open the safe. All right, so uh, next yeah, question. Right. We've got Linda from Santa Barbara, California. Hi, Linda. What's changed the most in the process for you over the past five years? What What's changed you guys uh, in the process, ladies? What would you say? Well, I think I've become a better actress in your in your mysteries. Um, I really uh, I really enjoy doing it. I think it's fun. Um, and I think that you have so much education in such a fun way. Uh, it's just really special, and I'm so glad that I'm a participant of it. And how about you, Patricia? What's changed? I, I agree. I agree with Mama Rose. We um, have incorporated education um, at a new level, so I, I think each year we get better with that, and it it's just credible kinds of facts uh, 
and information that come out even in the midst of a mystery. So, um, you know, putting together clues and and various uh, things to help people in their day-to-day life with diabetes management. I agree, and but this year you'll be, um, you're going to be sharing a little bit about how looking for patterns could help someone with their diabetes like it helps out in the mystery, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later. For me, I have to say the time commitment. <laughs> the first podcast mm-hmm. I did actually started writing it was the day after we finished the August podcast, and then I, in one month, wrote the first one, and then this year literally is taking, I'd say it was a 15-month process for me because I started before we recorded Gypsies, Tramps, and Peas, and then I did a lot of research and attended, because this is in the ballet, watched a lot of ballet documentaries, uh, read a lot of mystery novels, read a lot about the ballet, read about the Me Too movement, did a lot of diabetes research on multiple things that come up in the podcast, and even tried to do some cooking to get into my character. All right, so here's the final question before we go to some of our celebrity guests tonight, including uh, best-selling author Tanya Cappes, who we just love so much. All right, so, uh, oh, I'm going to ask you what you think, because this one is from Sean. Who's the hardest character to write for? That's a question for me, but who do you two think the hardest uh, character is for me to write for? Hmm. I even think it would be the, the killer if we to fit the killer oh, in yeah, somehow okay. so people don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's who I would say. I don't know about Patricia. I I think it's your character. <laughs> Why do you think it's my character? What's that? Why do you think it's my character? Because it's you always end up the person who is under suspicion and so it has to be a unique way to pull that attention on you in a threatening type of a threatening kind of way that's kind of non-threatening <laughs> but to have you under suspect well you know that's true it is my character I feel is the hardest one to write for because it's not about me, it's about my character's journey. I really think I symbolize um, the story of being diagnosed with diabetes because I'm, presented, I'm always presented with an obstacle that somehow in some way is stopping me from achieving my dream. And I think it parallels someone with diabetes and having diabetes kind of stop them from living their best life. So even when scenarios are perfect and I'm coming up with culinary recipes or catering to my old swim coach, I'm un- unexpected something gets in my way. And I, in order to move forward, I go to my friends and my family and my certified diabetes educators, and together we create a plan that helps me move through that obstacle. And no matter what, if I don't, um, it doesn't mean I'm going to become a better caterer, but it does give me a peace of mind, and I think with that peace of mind, I'm able to carry on. And that's the message I think I'm truly trying to convey to my listeners, to everyone who listens, is that, you know, you see my character kind of just attempting to go on with life and gets thrown a curveball, but it's through that entourage of care and all those people supporting me that I go forward, and I think like Tanya's character, my mom's character, kind of re- uh, sometimes are that voice in my head that say, 
you know, you really can't do that or, you know, you're not looking at it the right way. And I have to kind of overcome those thoughts sometimes to find my journey. And I hope that's what people, uh, that's what I try to um, attempt to do with my writing. So maybe it's a bigger thought than people thought. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. You're under scrutiny, but you still have to rise above and, and come out of that. So you're the suspect in every one of those mysteries, and it, it's, it's been wonderful. It truly has. So you two ladies are going to stick around, and we're going to be talking to you later. And, Patricia, we're going to be playing uh, the hot seat with some of our guests tonight, so we'll be challenging them on some diabetes information. You'll be giving the answers. And then, Mama Rosemary, you'll be ending the show with a tip tonight. So thanks for joining us in the mailbag. Uh, we'll be talking to you ladies, uh, you ladies a little bit later. But right now it's time for more music from our diva inspiration. Christina Aguilera says she's really a soul singer. That's her core, her roots, and her heart. It's all about singing soulfully song by Christina Aguilera from her Liberation album. I should go, I should go, I should go, I should go, I should go. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, yeah, I know. But I must be some kind of masochist. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. That was Christina Aguilera, and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Tonight we're going behind the scenes and talking to some of the cast members and inspiration behind our upcoming Diabetes Mystery Podcast entitled Swan Lake, which will be, be debuting or premiering in September. My next guest is, um, wow, she's the inspiration behind why I do all this work every year to try to put on a mystery podcast. She's a best-selling author who's been published numerous mysteries as well as romance titles. And she's not only famous for hilarious plot lines and quirky characters, but a tremendous marketing effort has earned her thousands of followers and devoted street team. Plus, she has one big fan over at Divabetic, and that's me. Please welcome Tanya Cathy's. <laughs> Oh, Matt, that Tanya. is so funny. And I am not your inspiration. You are amazing. You're <laughs> the one who I ran into you at BookCon in New York City, and we just started talking, yeah. and I thought you were just so full of life like you are. And, uh, you know, it just inspired <laughs> me to want to do something with you. And you, when I called and said, what do you think about doing a mystery podcast? You said, sure, I'm game for it. And here we are five years later. <laughs> I know, and I do. I love it. Every year I look forward to it, and I love um, hearing from my readers. And, you know, one of your, uh, when you were saying, um, you know, we asked the question about what they've taken away, and, and I'm listening, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have just learned so much about diabetes over the last few years from you and all the ladies. Um, yeah, and even like you know the the gentleman um, about diabetes, and didn't realize that really it was preparing me not only for my dad to have diabetes, but also my dog to get diabetes. So being armed with that information, um, so I'm like, oh, it was meant for Max and I to meet because without you and the knowledge that I had gotten from this podcast, um, I would have never known all that stuff, and that would have helped me, you know, right off. I would have had your research. It's incredible. And since you, I knew you, all that, it was great. 
And you've shared with me too privately that somebody you found out so many of your readers are also living with diabetes or affected by diabetes as well. That's right. So when we started doing this podcast, and I'm like, oh, you know, this is a great cause. Um, you know, I want you guys to listen, and then maybe take this on as a charity. Um, and that's when a lot of my readers, you know, they know a lot about me because I'm just kind of like an open book. But you know, I don't really get to know a lot about them. And so unless they email me or they start talking, so they started talking with each other. I have a private face group page for just my readers, and it's thousands of readers. And so they started talking on this um, Facebook page about, um, you know, their diabetes and their children having diabetes um, and them having diabetes or a spouse or a sibling, a parent. And so they really started sharing that information. And so, um, you know, we would take it one step further. And then um, I know the first year we started talking about different medicines that they used, different different tricks that they had and different meals that they could play in. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and also, um, you know, I know that they get a lot of neuropathy sometimes in their, you know, their feet. And, and so they had some ideas and tricks and different kind of salves and different kind of things that helped with that and some, you know, um, just some neat, you know, things that obviously there's no cure, but things to help them, you know, live comfortably with diabetes. And I just couldn't believe that opened up a whole new conversation outside of the book world. And it's been great, all these. And we pick up, I feel like every time we promote it, we pick up more and more and more. So hopefully they're listening. I put a, a, a link in there today about being on here tonight and, um, you know, talking about diabetes and, and our upcoming show, which I'm so excited about. Me too, and I, I'm so grateful to have you on for our uh, early kickoff party. You're, we're kind of on the red carpet tonight for the big event in September. You know, one of the struggles, though, for me, Tanya, is just like creating the characters and making them interesting. And this is where I think you excel because you've created so many great detectives and zany characters in your book. So I wanted to talk to you about some of the detectives in some of your popular books and how you came up with who they are. But first I want to tell you about one of my detectives. So I have this detective who, um, she has a lot of Southern, she has Southern Charm mystery writer who spends her days writing mysteries for the enjoyment of hundreds and thousands of readers, but what she really wants to do at the end of the day is solve crimes, and she always drags her good friend, Mr. Divabetic, into it. She's smart, funny, <laughs> and she likes to put her, her, her friend in his place from time to time. So that's, <laughs> my character is Tanya Cappy, so I thought I would ask my detective about some of her detectives. So... Um, and we do have a lot of fun, and we should tell everyone, you give me the ultimate privilege of writing for you, and you go along with me making you this kind of crazy uh, mystery-solving <laughs> woman, you know. All right, so we um, do have a lot I want to start with your latest books, because I think they're adorable. There's three books out, Beaches, Bungalows, and Bulgari. Um, um, I can't Bart even say Larry. it. Burglaries, thank you. <laughs> okay, burglaries. I don't know why. Deserts and driving derelicts. That's right. It looks like And forest fishing and forgery. <laughs> and the, the main, the amateur sleuth who I think I identify the most with is Mae West. Yes. So who is Mae? Mae West is not the Hollywood actress, we should tell everyone. Who, how did you come up with Mae West and who is she? Well, so she was this young girl that actually, you know, it, it gets, um, she was a, uh, flight attendant and she was in New York and so she met this wealthy billionaire 
and she was his private. Of course, she married him, and he's much, much older than her. And so he comes like her sugar daddy, and she's not really involved much in his company or anything like that. So I was kind of going off the Bernie Madoff thing. And so, but of course, much younger than Bernie Madoff. So, of course, she had no idea that her husband was embezzling all this money. And so she also had no idea that he had, um, and his last name was West. And the reason why I said Mae West is because I love Mae West, and I think it's hilarious that this girl, um, who was from Kentucky originally, but you don't learn that until, um, a, you know, a few chapters in, that she escaped Kentucky because she just wanted to live in the big city. And so um, all these years she's tried to reinvent herself. And so, um, you know, Mae West, I love Mae West, and she's just over the top for me anyways because I'm from Kentucky, and I can imagine being a Mae West. And so that's why I did it because I just think it's funny and it plays to her character that this girl is. And so she's lived this luxurious life and then come to find out that when her husband is put in prison, the only thing that he left her with free and clear is this rundown <laughs> RV camping park in the middle of Kentucky in the Daniel, um, Nas- the, the Daniel Boone National Forest, um, which is a state park here in Kentucky that also goes into Appalachia part of Kentucky. So um, though those areas are very quite sad, they're also quite um, a small towns that come together, and that's what I write about. And I write about Kentucky because Kentucky has a lot more than just hillbillies and fast horses and bourbon. And so, um, you know, when these communities come together, you know, you, when you see Appalachia on these shows about how poor they are, they also are very tight-knit communities. And so May West, has no talent, and she has a run-down camper. Her fancy uh, Maserati gets taken away as well and repossessed, so she gets this run-down camper, and she doesn't know how to hook up a camper, like the poo-poo part of it or nothing. And so here she is, this fancy girl and all her fancy uh, bags, and she has to trek to Kentucky um, to only find out that he also, her ex-husband, swindled everybody in this small town of normal Kentucky where nothing is normal. And that's the tagline. Welcome to normal Kentucky where nothing is normal. So, of course, in true uh, fashion of my writing, you have these quirky characters and, um, you know, you have to do laundry. And so there is a laundry mat called the Laundry Club in Normal where all the people have to do their laundry. And so it's kind of they've made it a real club. Like they do a book club in there. There's a TV. There's a coffee station. There's a library for books. And so there's about five women that come in there. And they span the ages of 20 all the way up to 60. So I've got every generation covered. And they're kind of her sidekicks when somebody in the town. So in the first book, um, Beaches, um, bungalows and burglaries it's about her fixing up this um, campground because she's going to sell it because she's not planning on may west is not staying in kentucky she's going to sell this sucker and get back to new york city where she belongs so what she ends up doing is along the way she finds she starts um, realizing that the people that he swindled are good people and she wants to kind of give back to the community and by the end of the book um She has really turned the campground around and done some great marketing things. And um, so uh, with these cast of characters, they've kind of brought this campground back to life. And um, she's really started to love the people in the town. So it's kind of been hard for her to think about selling. 
And so, um, you know, it's kind of a cliffhanger in the back of the first do her. Her lawyer from New York comes in and says, I finally found a buyer. So you got to have to read the second book to see if she really buys or not. But hint, hint, since you know that there's three books out, I don't think she wants to leave that little town of normal. But dead people start keep showing up in her path, and um, she's got a couple love interests. And so um, one's the, the detective and one's a local boy. Um, and so they have a past, these two boys, and so it's kind of been fun playing that out, too. So I've kind of put in my mystery novel, kind of with that romance novel side that I started out with when I was writing. So, and this will be my fifth, uh, I just turned in my 54th novel to my editor. So this will be my 54th book. Your 64th book? 54. Oh, 54, like Studio 54? 54. Yep, Studio 54. So, but it's been a fun series to write in. I I just went to see the Donna Summer musical on Broadway, so maybe you should come up and and celebrate with that. (laughs) Oh, I saw Um, that, and I love Donna Summer. I have her eight-track still. Oh, it's great. I recommend to all my listeners, if you come to New York City, make sure you go see the Donna Summer musical on Broadway. It was really wonderful. All right, let's talk about another one, Olivia Davis, because Olivia Davis pops up in this year's uh, Murder Mystery. You talk a little bit about taking some of her skills and applying them to how we're going to solve the mystery. Tell us about a little bit about Olivia, and she's from the Paranormal Murder Mystery series that you created, and what, what makes her a good detective? Because part of being a detective, I believe, Tanya, is like problem solving, which people could apply to their diabetes self-care management and as far as like looking for clues, um, investigating, and searching for patterns, and then going to the uh, authorities who I consider to be your healthcare providers to make, make, see if it makes right. sense. Right. So tell us a little bit about Olivia, because she has a really interesting well, backstory was- too. <laughs> well, she's a lot different than Mae West, and so Mae doesn't have any paranormal in it, but um, I love paranormal, and I think it adds to the story. So Olivia has been fired from all of her jobs because she reads auras, and sometimes people's auras are not that pretty, and so she faints. So she always gets fired because every time she sees these auras, she faints, so she never gets any work done. So what's a girl to do when she can't find a job? So she goes on to the Internet. And so you can't, you know, read auras, people on the Internet, because you're not face-to-face with them. So she decides that she's going to start this (laughs) online business called SwiftBill.com, where she breaks up with people for people. So, But she has a form you have to fill out. So when she calls these, because she calls them up and she says, hey, Max, my name is Olivia Davis, and I'm with Flipsville.com. And then she makes a, a, then she'll say, this is being recorded for blah, 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 like real fast so they don't understand what she's saying. And so um, she says, I understand that you've been dating, you know, Tanya Kappas, and, and she said that you've got the holiest underwear she's ever seen in her life. And like she, because she knows things that only the couple would know. So Max would be like, "Hey, how did you know that?" Or, "Yeah, who told you that? Is this a joke? Is this my friend's playing jokes on me?" And then she kind of gets down to the dirty, and she's like, "No, because I know this, this, and this." And so I'm calling because she has hired me to break up with you. <laughs> so it's then it's it really is funny. I mean, it sounds terrible, but I put my funny part on it, and so. um 
you know, so then what happens is, of course, one of her clients ends up dead, and the police track um, all the information back to her computer because that's how they do it. They fill an online form out. And so, um, you know, she has to help the the clue because now she doesn't meet these people in real life. They just, you know, email her. So then she tries to get back to the email of the girlfriend that broke up, and then she has to work with the police and the Internet and all the inner workings of, you know, tracking down numbers and then tracking down these people. But, see, she has to take a vested interest in it as well because, They'll sh- the the police are saying they're going to shut her down, but she's making so much money. Like she gets like two hundred dollars for each breakup, and it's gotten so popular. This is now her job, and she has to keep having a job to pay her bills. And so she is, and then she's like, "Well, I've got to find this killer before they do, because I can't risk them not finding her, and then me getting shut down, um, and ending my business." And so, um, you know, she gives the police a little bit of information, um but not enough for the full-blown investigation like she does. And so I think, um, you know, when you, you talk about diabetes, you know, your doctors can only give you so much information, how you're going to feel, you know, what it's like to take your blood sugar every day, what the medicine effects might be, the side effects. And until you're really into your disease and, you know, taking your blood sugar and finding out what your, you know, what your level is and then how much insulin you need. Um, You really have to get down and dirty to figure out what the best is for you when you have diabetes. And so with the sleuth, you know, it's no different. They have to get down and dirty and get in there and and fill it all out to know how they're going to solve it um, because it's affecting them directly. So that's I love it. I think it's, how when we, yeah. yeah, when you and I talk about the mysteries, you know, I'm bringing it in from those angles. You know, when you're saying, hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, well, then if you're going to tie the mystery into it, you've got to look at this angle too. And But then you have to make it, you know, I put my mystery on on paper. So I can bring a character or the reader through by by describing things and, you know, how she feels. and that, But, see, when we're doing your podcast and we're doing the theater, you know, they're just listening to us. So we really have to do it through our voices and through, you know, your um, imagination with your words, which and, I think is a lot harder. And sound effects, Tanya, which reminds me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, it's time for your hot seat question. Best-selling author, Tanya Cathy's, please get in the hot seat. I'm okay. ask you a question related to diabetes. You have to give an answer, and then Patricia Addy Gentle, one of the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, will help you with, find a solution if you can't figure it out. Here it is. Are you ready? Thank you for helping raise awareness. All right. Thanks for helping raise awareness for diabetes in a fun new way. Here you go. True or false, people with diabetes experience skin itching at a higher rate than those without the condition. True false. or false? I'm sorry? False. False. Oh. 
Oh, a study of nearly 3,000 people living with diabetes found that an estimated 11.3% of those with diabetes reported skin itching versus 2% of the people without diabetes. A person with diabetes should not ignore itchy skin. Dry, irritated, or itchy skin is more likely to become infected, and someone with diabetes may not be able to fight off an infection as well as someone who's not living with diabetes. Sometimes itchy itchy skin can result from damaged nerve fibers, located on the outer uh, layers of the skin. Patricia, did you have any yes. comments on that? Um, yeah. That itchy skin should not be ignored. It definitely should be something that you're in tune to because when there's a lot of itching, there's usually a lot of scratching. And skin serves as a barrier to keep germs out. So once you break the skin, uh, infection can occur. So itchy skin is something that really uh, is one of those little signs that a lot of people kind of tend to ignore and think it's just normal. But the higher the sugar level is, then uh, the blood is kind of dehydrated. It's, it's not as liquefied. It's, it's sugary in consistency. Mm. And so uh, with that dehydration, you will feel some itch. Might have to put that in another upcoming mystery podcast. Tanya, you've got I some know. Big One of my readers did just say on Facebook, that's true. <laughs> oh, I love it. You've got some big news happening on October, August 16th. Something's happening with your website. Am I right? You're relaunching your website? Me? Yeah, I thought I saw that on your website the other day. No? Oh, I am. I didn't know that you knew that. I, I've redone my website, yes, and it'll be up um, August the 16th, yes. So, yep, it's a whole new I thing. I've been investigating you. I've been investigating you. All right, well, guess what, everybody? Tanya is going to be in rehearsals until September, but Tanya, thank you so much for being making time tonight from your busy schedule to join us on the podcast and talk about the upcoming mystery podcast and I, I have to say how um I'm just so grateful for everything that we're celebrating our fifth year together that you inspired me to do this and it's just been such a wonderful um time for me to partner with you in this way of trying to help change the way people learn about living with diabetes. So thank you. Well I adore you and I love you and you've become a great friend of mine um outside of all of this. So Hopefully, I can come to a bunch of your stuff, um, and hopefully in the future, Max, I'm trying to talk Max into writing a mystery book and a collaboration between the two of us, so I'm going to hold him to that, so y'all right. heard it here first. <laughs> We're going to do it. I'm going to do it. All right. Well, our okay. August diva inspiration, Christina Aguilera, is a soprano having a vocal range spanning four octaves. You know, she donated her wedding, uh, her wedding gifts to the American Charities in support of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, here's another song from her album. Please enjoy Pipe off of the Liberation album. How can I when you put that pipe down, pipe down, pipe down? Yeah. I want to celebrate you right now, right now, right now. Got me sending for you all across town, across town, across town. I want to celebrate you right now. Welcome back to Diaries 
Sugarless Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. My next guest's memoir, The Sugarless Plum, has inspired people all over the world to live a happy and healthy life. But my interview with her two years ago on this podcast inspired me to want to do the theme of this year and put it in the ballet world. Please please welcome to the show, Sephora Cars. Hi, Sephora. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes, you can.
So it's a little bit of my history. If that, if you want more, you'll ask. No, that's obviously. great. But I, we do reference George Balanchine in um, in the mystery podcast as well as Swan Lake. So uh, first thing is, I know you told me in a prior interview that George Balanchine was not known for doing storytelling ballet, which I con- would consider Swan Lake to be right because it tells this kind of fairy tale. So what kind yes. of uh, what is what would George Balanchine be known for? He he was known, it's called neoclassical dance. He was known more for pure movement to the music. Now, he did do a one-act Swan Lake, so we did do Swan Lake, but that was more because he felt a pressure, pressure from the critics for him to do a story ballet. But he really wanted the story to be the dance, and he wanted the audience to come to have an experience of the dancer moving to music and that that was it. Whatever happened in that moment, whatever emotion came out was spontaneous. And so you might not know the names per se of some of the pieces that we dance, but you, because the music was so important to him, the pieces were always named after the composer. He loved Tchaikovsky, who your your story revolves around Swan Lake, which was composed by Tchaikovsky. He had a very special re- relationship with Igor Stravinsky. Um, who was much more of an avant-garde um, composer, but he really, he really, um, they, they, they worked together and they created together. And I have to say some of my, my most ecstatic experiences on stage were dancing to more of this neoclassical t- type of music. But he wasn't averse to a story coming out if it was spontaneous. You know, dance does allow you, as I said, you go through a portal and it's almost like the entire pantheon of human emotion can come through you in in any given moment and you can be spontaneous with it. So you can tell your own story, basically. So how did, so let's, now let's talk a little bit about what the day-to-day life of a ballerina, because obviously the vast majority of us only see the pretty swans on stage, but I know there's, you know, right. like you were talking about the discipline and the athleticism. So um, just kind of walk us through hour by hour of the day of a ballerina getting ready for a performance. Right. What was your day well, like? We, yeah, we always take class in the morning to work on the technical aspects of what we're trying. You're always trying to improve the line of your legs, um, how how your jump is, how your turn is, the technical ways, because it's just not natural. It's not natural to, to stand with your feet turned out to the side and also to stand on the tips of your toes. So you're really creating a new vocabulary, a new repertoire within your body. So you have to work on it every day. And we, we start at the bar, we warm our muscles up, and then we come to the center, work on our jumps and turns. The class in the morning can last about an hour to an hour and a half. And then when you're in a professional company, as I was with the New York City Ballet, you have a different program going every single night. Each piece might go five or six times within the course of a three-month season. So you, have, you almost have a, a, almost 100 ballets going. So you will have about a, a six-hour rehearsal day. You might get an hour for lunch. Sometimes I didn't even get that. But you rehearse for six hours, and in those six hours, every hour you might have a different piece. You're changing studios. You're working on different things. And um, and then you put your makeup on and you perform that night. So you actually have to have the most energy at the end of the day, and you're actually quite exhausted. But as I said before, you, you, we really we really are athletes. We I don't think people really understand. And this was one of the problems I came into 
trouble with with my diabetes with the doctors back in the 80s, not really understanding the athleticism and the output of energy that a, that a ballerina actually does. Well, that brings up the next thing I want to talk to you about, because in this year's Swan Wake, there's really a theme about being <laughs> broken and trying to overcome yes. that. And, you know, yes. to me, I kind of chose that because to, I look at ballerinas as like these figurines are just so perfect. And so I thought the thought of trying to have to overcome an obstacle and how you move on is so um, – I just thought that was a universal story, and, when, and I wanted to talk a little bit about you because here you are. Now if we go back to when you were first diagnosed, you were moving up through the ranks of the company, which isn't that easy, achieving your dream, and then you, realized, you found out you were being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes. Well, it was my third year in the New York City Ballet, and I was being pushed by my directors. And Jerome Robbins, um, if, if people out there know who he is, he the choreographer most known for West Side Story and Fiddler on the Roof. But he, he really was the resident choreographer, and his main love was, was ballet. And he was our one of my directors. And he had been pushing me in a lot of his leading roles and, and really nurturing and mentoring me when I was diagnosed. And as a young artist, I, I'd say the, the, the plus was that I would, had already experienced the magic of dance, and I already was experiencing what it was like to be a leading ballerina. That was a plus and a minus, because then I felt the intense pressure to have to prove that I, nothing changed, and, and I was still going to be this promising talent, even though I'd just been diagnosed with diabetes. So it was the 80s. And we, I didn't have a diabetes educator. I didn't have a doctor that understood. I actually was misdiagnosed as type 2 because I was in my early 20s. So for many years, I struggled silently trying to hide the fact that I was in over my head and I didn't know if I could keep dancing. So I, I definitely experienced a lot of every day wondering if I was crazy to think I could do it and what I was doing there. What was I doing in that kind of a world if I was trying just so unsure of how to handle my health but as I said before the positive that kept me going was I had already touched the magic and the magic was so intense and such a deep love that I had never experienced before that there was another part of my personality it was the flip side of the are you crazy you've got to you've got to get out of here the flip side was you there is no life for you if you leave here because you have touched the magic of your life and you have to keep going and you have to try it and you have to persevere. And we should tell everyone like the pump, you said the pump was so big at that time. You really couldn't wear it with your costume. Oh, so oh, no, you, no, no. How would you manage yeah. it in that kind of day where you're doing six hour rehearsals? Oh, you know, it wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah. And it I, wasn't I mean, easy. you can't, you can't really eat like an athlete. Can you as a ballerina? Well, I mean, well, I know this well honest, honestly, you know, I, Right. I, I honestly had so many different struggles because we were – the 80s was the time of the doctors still putting you on, on um, high-carbohydrate diets, and there was no paleo diet or low-carb that, that – you know, there was no mentality of that. So I, then there was no, there was no um, internet. There was no researching anything in those days either. So I basically figured out with my grandmother, who was very into health foods, that um, less carbs – 
allowed me to take less insulin before, especially before I went on stage. And it was just a guessing game for me. But I, I did a lot of homework, a lot of figuring out which foods spiked me and which didn't and how I could take the least amount of insulin so I didn't drop low on stage too often, which happened in the beginning a lot. And so I just figured out years and years ago that what was best for me was a the less carbs was better, the high protein and the high fat and lots of healthy vegetables. And so I was on a the lowest insulin that I possibly could be on for myself. And then I would just keep dates off stage. You know, I couldn't really do juice while I was in the middle of the performance, but I could put a date in my mouth and, and run on stage with a date in my mouth if I felt myself going too low. And in those days also, because I was still early in the diabetes I, I I could feel the shaking coming on. Today I have the hypoglycemia under unawareness, so it's it's not as easy to tell when I'm having a low. So it would actually be harder for me probably today in a certain way. But then it was so clear, so I could just throw that data in my mouth. But I have to say, what was difficult is that I felt very. I was so conflicted with the um, the part of me that was desperate to show. I was the same dancer, and there I was shaking and not having a good performance. So psychologically, it was very difficult for me. I had a lot of blame on my body for destroying my dream and my life, and I would take it out. I would sabotage myself in certain ways. Like I get so mad at myself, I would eat something I wasn't supposed to eat or overdo my insulin you know, just to prove to myself something, you know, so I, I struggled a lot. It was not easy psychologically, but, you know, in years I came to terms with it and I did hang in there and I danced for 16 years and I was promoted to soloist 13 years after my diagnosis. Um, so actually, no, not 13 years. I danced for 13 years, six years after my diagnosis, I was promoted to soloist. So I certainly learned a lot, and I had to. I I kind of had to learn how to let go of being so perfect all the time. That sometimes I wasn't going to look as great as I did because, you know, my situation had changed. I was no. I had diabetes now, and I had to almost redefine what my potential was. And I had to give my give myself a little slack and a little break that I was doing the best I could. If that makes so sense. Some people, have, you know, to me, like a lot of people hear that, maybe some people can't relate if they think, oh, I'll never be a prima ballerina, and uh, so she can't relate to it. But actually, I think there's such a relatable universal message in your story because I think most of us try to be perfect or at some point are a perfectionist about something. And the idea that this, again, is like an obstacle in your path and the way you get you got by it. I think anyone could learn from it. So in that low moment, just to go back one more time, uh, I just want to, you know, in that lowest moment, because I, you know, we should tell people you were hiding some of your sores and you write about this in your memoir yes. uh, that you yes. were wearing heavy pancake makeup to cover up your sores in your arms. You were experiencing like a buildup of lactic acid in your muscles. So it was a little bit even more painful for you to dance at times than it might be for uh, your fellow dancers. How yeah. how did you, what, what really kind of like, I don't know, just kind of, uh, you You've mentioned it a few times, but what was that moment and that kind of led you out and that kind of sustained you? Because, you know, like you just said, you you went on to dance for several, ten more years after that. So something yeah. had to be there, that your touchstone that you could come back to when you would have these unexpected moments again and again and always come out of it. Well, I certainly had had periods where I 
would learn something new and a new way of eating or a new natural naturopathic doctor to work with to help me with the pain in my legs. Um, I certainly had to do a lot of massaging. There were I was I was I had to work it to figure out how to hang in there. The the truth is, Max, is that when I look back on it, I don't feel like I ever really became the dancer I could have become. And I don't, I don't think I ever hit a place of thinking, oh, I did it. I really did this with diabetes. I hung in there because I, it, it still, I still had those moments of the magic of dance. So, you know, enough that it was worth it to go through the struggle and the obstacle to get in there every day to experience the love. But what I'll say to you is that as a t- what it's what it really did, and I think what I'm most grateful for that I hung in there for so many years because I look back thinking, oh boy, I don't know if I'd have it in me to do it again, and, and and how did I do it? I do ask myself that all the time. Is that as a teacher, what is because I've been teaching now, so I retired in 1999 from from the stage, and I've been teaching since. And now what I do is I actually direct and I stage the productions and the ballets of George Balanchine that I used to dance. So I'm I'm one of the people that's honored to be. It's called a repetitor. You you set the those pieces on companies and schools all around the world. So when I get to be the teacher now, the wealth of information and the experience of what it is. Just because I was a soloist, you know, I I know what it's like to be depressed and to feel like I I don't have it to do this and am I crazy. And how can I, how 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 can I even have the will to even take care of my diabetes because I'm so upset that it's destroying my life? There's such a depression factor in this all, and especially when your blood sugars are not in total control, you know we're we're more prone to all of those feelings. I think that as as a as a teacher, it helps me with my students to help them because they're not necessarily going to have diabetes. But there, we're, we all have a body, and we all, like you said, come into these issues and situations where we have to deal with our own dynamic, our own humanness, our own humanity of how we feel about ourselves in the world with great expectations on us. So I feel like um, I feel like the most important thing is to, for us to nurture. Even when we don't know what it is that makes us special, or I don't even like the word special, what makes us connected to something bigger than who we are, a value on this planet. I feel like we have to care enough about ourselves and our bodies, and with diabetes, that means balancing your blood sugars and eating healthy. And so I feel like everything that I went through has shown me the value of that because it's just brought me it's brought me kind of peace of mind because I don't feel like I'm blaming my body anymore and hating my diabetes for ruining my life. It's almost the opposite. I feel like it's taught me this great lesson in compassion and self-care. And so I feel like my dancing years were more the struggle years because it was so important to me and I was so desperate to lose the dream. And now in my life, I feel like the dream was really, is, is really the ebbs and flows of life and how we move through it and still find ourselves and still have compassion for ourselves and our bodies and our experiences. Does that, I don't know if that answers your question. 
I think you should have written the podcast. <laughs> I'm ready to hand over the pen to you, Sabar. That was brilliant, but I can't hand over the pen, but watch out because... Oh, no. In celebration of our eight years of Diabetes Podcasting, we're playing games all year long, and one of them is the hot seat. So please take a seat in the hot seat over there. I'm going to ask you a question okay. related to Diabetes Care. And our yeah. educator, Patricia Addy, is standing by to help you with an answer. Thank you. Before I ask the question, I just want to thank you again for being on the show and helping to raise awareness for diabetes in a fun new way. Okay, my character this year, God bless him. He loves to be a caterer, and he's decided that he needs to make a gluten-free cheesecake. So which item do you think um, most likely does not contain gluten? Is it soy sauce, lipstick, cheesecake filling, or hard cider? Which item do you think most likely does not contain gluten? Okay, say it again. Soy sauce? Soy sauce, lipstick. Cheesecake filling, because I do make a gluten-free cheesecake, and hard cider. Goodness, I, you know the obvious seems like lipstick, but I'm a little afraid it's a it's a trick. But I'm going to say lipstick. <laughs> oh, I'm wrong. It has gluten in it. Most beverages are gluten-free, including juices, sodas, sports drinks, alcohol beverages, including. Wine and hard liquor and hard ciders are gluten-free. However, beers, ales, lagers, malt beverages, malt vinegars are made with gluten-containing gluten. Why would gluten be important? Let's go to Patricia Addy Gentle. Why, if you're living with diabetes, would even a gluten-free diet be something you'd consider, Patricia Addy Gentle? Well, gluten is one of those things that um, can cause some types of, in some people, irritants in, in the bowel, intestinal tract, and um, it kind of alters digestion and the way that uh, you're able to absorb. And so gluten is something uh, that some people need to be really in tune to um, eating and consuming things that are gluten-free. And a lot of people, there's a prevalence of celiac disease with people living with type 1 diabetes, approximately 6% of the type 1 population is dealing with uh, celiac disease. We should tell everyone. Absolutely, and celiac is one of those things that, well, it's it's like an autoimmune disorder as well, and so a lot of people with diabetes also have celiac. All right, so Zipporah, before we go, I have one more question because this is an important part of the murder mystery. Uh, let's talk about the point shoes and the idea right. and why you might break a point shoe. So tell us a little bit about that because this is good information for listeners to tune in next month. Yes. So, okay, so the toe shoe is crucial to how a dancer's performance is going to go. So you're standing on that very tip. It's a very small surface. If the, if the surface is tilted any way, like over to the right or over to the left, it's going to twist your foot while you're up on it. So it's very important that you find the perfect shoe. So before any performance or any rehearsals, and, and also you want it to also go with your foot, like with the arch of your foot. You want to have an arch like a banana rather than a spatula so that you can really point. And if the shoe is not giving you, you kind of you take your hands and you bend it so that it goes more like a banana. But with the tip, if my tip was not perfect, I would actually take a hammer. And if I hammered lightly, because you don't want to, break that shoe they're almost a hundred dollars each so you want to ruin it so you can't dance at all and make it too soft but i would just hammer 
the sides ever so slightly, and I knew exactly which way, if I hammered it to level it out, it would make me stand perfectly on the tips of my toes. And then we don't want them to make noise also. So the hammer takes the noise out of the shoe also. So, um, and then you, 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 you cut open certain areas so that they're not as slippery because of that satin surface on the tip. So you make a little, you take a scissors and you cut around it. So you basically take this $100 pair of shoes and you kind of do a lot of damage to it before, before you're even going to dance on it. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for that advice. And you gave me research that will show up in the podcast. And again, Zahoris, thank you so much for inspiring this podcast next month, as well as just kind of guiding me through it, looking it over and giving me some important uh, insider tips about how to make it uh, sing true. And, and thanks again for being on the podcast. Tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. And, and hello to all of your listeners. And uh, you, yes, please, you know, whenever I can be involved, I love working with you. All right, well, tune in next month when you'll see Mr. Diva Better going to the ballet. In the meantime, I'm going to be talking to Asher Brown in a minute, but first we're going to play a little bit more music from our diva inspiration, Christina Aguilera. Here's another song, probably my favorite off of the Liberation album. It's called Unless It's With You. I'm in over my head, feeling confused I'm losing my mind, don't know what to do Cause I don't want to get married Unless it's with you, unless it's with you Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. That is the incredible Christina Aguilera. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. Tonight we're talking about liberation, and my next guest was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was five years old. She's a fierce diabetes advocate who's founded an amazing organization entitled We Are Diabetes, which offers one-on-one mentorship, guidance, and resources to anyone living with type 1 diabetes who may not only be feeling alone but may also be suffering from a co-concurring condition like an eating disorder or depression. Please welcome to the show our actress extraordinaire, Asha Brown. Hi, Asha. Hey, Max. Welcome to the show. Uh, your character, we should say, is a is a ballerina. So I don't know if you heard any of the interview with Zipporah Cars, but if she was giving us lots of tips into the uh, traits of a ballerina and what it's like to be a soloist. I did. I, I enjoyed listening very much. And to be honest, I can relate to a lot of what she was saying based on my my own, you know, um, perf- performing career. I, I was once a professional actress um, and I did a lot of musical theater. Obviously, I wasn't um, primarily in dance, but a lot of the things that she was sharing, I very much related. And what what's one thing that kind of popped out to you that you you're th- you thought of just top of the mind? Well, I mean, especially what she was saying about trying to figure out and tweak exactly how to manage her blood sugars for when she's live on stage, that really was the trickiest part. And that was honestly what always created the most anxiety for me because obviously to perform, your blood sugars need to be in range, but you can't be going low on stage. So how do you, how do you find that balance, you know? And um, it's, it's very individual for anyone. And obviously I have a, a very long history with an eating disorder, so I, I did not make sometimes the best choices in how to manage that. Um, but it is really, uh, people just really don't understand unless you live with type one, um, how much you sacrifice in order to have those moments 
of, of beauty and, and live performance, um, how much work it takes to get there, to be in that, in that space on stage sometimes with this illness. Well, the other thing, too, I would think, and I, I know our cast experiences it on some level, is just the rush of adrenaline. You know, because we'll rehearse, oh, yeah. and then when we're doing the live show, because it's live, we're all on pins and needles. So I, I would think even in the best scenarios, I remember when I think her name was Missy Foote, uh, the marathon runner, would practice running marathons and, and go over her treatment regimen. She was living with, she's living with type 1 diabetes too. But then when it would come to a race, uh, the adrenaline would kick in, and so sometimes she would have to drop out of the race because they just couldn't factor in that sure. X factor of the adrenaline. So yep. that also well, had to be a curveball. The extra cortisol from stress. Yep, the extra cortisol yeah. from stress or excitement. It can absolutely throw a wrench in, in your perfect plan that you thought you had, that you had it all figured out. But the body always has a way of tricking you, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, now, in, in this year's podcast, your character, Raven Falcone, is a ballerina. But one of the big themes going on in this podcast is the idea of keeping secrets and how dangerous it could be to keep a secret. However, in real mm-hmm. life, you've always been uh, – you're very willing to talk openly about the various health issues. You've been on the podcast before. You were telling us uh, some of the challenges you were dealing with, and I know you've come out on the other side. So I, I want to ask Absolutely. you first why – you choose to be so vocal, and then I'd love you to kind of tell everyone again about your experience and where you are today. Sure. Well, you know, here's the deal. I, Max, lived in a hell of my own making for a decade of my life, and actually I guess you could say it's a third of my life because I'm only in my early 30s right now, and that is because I didn't talk about it. And you know what? Nobody else was talking about it either. And so I felt like I was the worst diabetic and probably the worst person in the world because no one was talking about type 1 diabetes and eating disorders. And so when I finally got a second chance at life, and thank God I did, and I had guardian angels who pushed me, and I had a husband who was, gave me a lot of tough love to push me into treatment. When I got that second chance and I came out of treatment, I realized that doing that was not there was no, no one was getting anything out of us not talking about it. So I started to talk about type 1 diabetes and eating disorders. And from there, I just really couldn't shut my mouth, Max. I couldn't. <laughs> the truth really does set you free. And when I decided I wanted to live in truth, um, that, you know, what, what happened, you know, is as I got better, um, I did suffer a lot of um, complications that are irreversible because of my time with um, living with diabulimia. And so, although I um, am so happy to be in recovery, I um, unfortunately have damaged my body in some ways that um, I I live with on a daily basis now. Um, And I had to make a choice if I wanted to talk about that. And and I realized that, you know, PCOS, which is something that I was diagnosed with um, in my teens, um, was also not being talked about. It was not being addressed. It was not being um, managed, and it wasn't really being researched as much as it should be. Um, so with with me talking about my life with my eating disorder, I just I realized that it was only going to help people to hear my story because then maybe they would get brave enough to start sharing their stories, you know, and this is the only way that we start creating change. And this also helps us all feel like we're connected instead of everyone feeling so isolated with their chronic illnesses. Um, so with that being said, I, um, I've been fighting for a hysterectomy ever since I was diagnosed with PCOS, but because I'm a type one diabetic and I also live with Addison's disease, um, 
I scare a lot of surgeons. Nobody wants to operate on that. <laughs> um, I'm a very high-risk case. So I, uh, I had to settle with living on um, a lot of synthetic hormones to manage my uh, PCOS. And that was a Band-Aid fix. So um, I kept yelling. I kept. I was basically the the squeaky wheel, uh, the squeaky wheel, so to speak. And I finally met a surgeon who was willing to give me my hysterectomy last uh, winter, and I got it. And um, I was very happy about that. Unfortunately, uh, again, because of my 10 years of living with an A1C over 15, which is really, I mean, again, I'm I'm happy to be alive. Thinking back to you know how damaging that was. Um, my body did not heal properly from my surgery, so I had some major complications, which involved um, my intestines falling out of me. <laughs> um, I had I had to be rushed to emergency surgery. I had gone into an Addisonian crisis at this point. I had five hours of corrective emergency surgery to put my organs back in my body. And um, I basically had a C-section surgery to correct the complications from the hysterectomy surgery. So um, I was in the hospital for a long time this year. <laughs> and um, my healing process was very, very slow. Uh, however, I, in the past three or four months, I have, I have to tell you, I would certainly not like to do any of that again, but I'm feeling better than I've felt in a decade because I am off all the synthetic hormones that I knew were making me sick. I knew that they were making my, they were, they were, they were, they were suppressing natural hormones and, and I'm off all of these unnecessary things. Um, and I'm able to live free for the first time in 10 years in a way that I never have. And I am so thankful for that. I'm thankful for it too. I mean, I was just, you know, I, you have such courage, uh, Asha and, I don't even remember mm -hmm. how we met, and I know when I had you on the show, when I found out you were an actress, I was like, oh, what a dream to have her be on the Mystery Podcast, and, you know, you've been on, three, you're, this is going to be your fourth one, I think, and, um, yes, I, yes. you know, it's just been great to have you in our lives, and for me to, you know, follow you on social media and, and um, see what you're, you're, you're sharing and support you, and then you know, connect you with other people. And, you know, I, I, I hope people hear this story and the universal message going back again to that isolation and the idea of mm -hmm. not knowing what's going on in your body but just being kind of afraid to talk about it. Because I, yeah. I do think that is, those are powerful things working against us, you know, and the fact that it's so scary. You know, it's you scary. You found your way out of it step by step, even opened the door to even uh, more uh, confessional than I think you probably originally thought you would. I have to tell you, I never thought that, um, well, let's just be frank, I never thought my vagina would be such a public discussion. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it now. <laughs> and, um, and honestly... I go to the gynecologist every year on the podcast, so I'm fine with <laughs> vagina. That's fine with me. I know you do. I loved, I loved, I loved those um, podcasts that we did. And the thing is, too, women with type 1 diabetes, their OBGYN needs are so so important and and there is a lack of of a specialty there and that's you know again I've, if only I had five more of me I would start a nonprofit just about that because that's a world that really needs to be addressed as well um, you know sexual health in women with diabetes both type 1 and type 2 it's really important and we're not talking about it enough 
You know, I try to talk about it, but I do find a lot of pushback from people because they just like, oh, I yeah. can't believe you're talking about that. But I, you know, to yeah. me, it's. I agree. I, I wish it would get a lot more coverage. I want to. You mentioned PCOS. I know a lot of people are hearing those words. Next month is PCOS Awareness Month. We have talked about mm-hmm. it on this podcast before, but some of yeah. Tanya Cathy's readers are listening tonight. What does PCOS stand for? So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and um, it's basically an imbalance of your hormones, um, and it manifests in different ways for different people. Um, I was a very different case simply because I um, I did not exhibit the normal um, signs that present themselves with PCOS. I was a young woman. Um, I was very small, and I, I'm a petite thing. But I do have the insulin resistance factor because I'd lived already with type 1 for, I think, 12 years when it was diagnosed when I was 16, 16 or 17. Um, and, you know, my, my symptoms came in the form of benign cysts that um, would sit on my ovaries, um, and then they would rupture without warning. <laughs> and it felt like I was giving birth every time one of those cysts would rupture. And the, the concern is that some of those cysts would be so close to my spleen that as they – if they were rupturing, they would rupture my spleen. There was a whole lot of mess going on down there. And so I spent a lot of um, emergency visits <laughs> with um, trying to manage the pain. Um, and what was difficult is that there was a lot of anxiety coming because I never knew when one of those cysts were going to explode on me, basically. In fact, I remember I was in a show, and I was getting ready to go and dance and kiss me Kate, and one of my, um, one of my cysts started to uh, rupture right before I went on stage. And that was um, quite a traumatic experience. <laughs> um, but PCOS can do a lot of different things to your body. It can affect, it can affect all your other um, sex hormones as a woman. And it really it, it causes a lot of um, emotional and physical distress. Right. And, I, and, you know, I have to say I'm so proud that together we're going to be raising awareness for PCOS during September. Yes. Awareness Month. Me too. All right, so before we leave, tell us a little bit about what's going on because now you're happy, you're healthy, and we are diabetes is taking <laughs> over the world. You're planning to do something, I believe, with oh, Beyond boy. Type 1. Yes, so Beyond Type 1 has partnered with We Are Diabetes, and we are currently developing the first, um, well, the first, very first of its kind. We Are Diabetes in 2019 will be launching the first mentorship program. Um, this is the first kind of, of thing that this that has ever been. Um, I'm t- currently training um, girls that I have um, watched through recovery. They're in solid recovery right now. They're in the mentor training program where we have a curriculum and a guide, and they will be our first round of mentors. And what this program will be is that anyone who um, is new to recovery um, or is hoping to find recovery can be matched with one of our mentors, and they basically get a built-in sister or brother, so to speak, um, a, a built-in friend, someone that they can text, that they can call, that they can Skype with, who's been there, who's been exactly through what this person new to recovery is going through. So um, I'm building a dream team, Max, and it's, it's, uh, it's hard. <laughs> But I'm really excited about it, and I'm so honored to be working with um, an amazing group like Beyond Type 1. Um, I'm so honored and humbled that they believe in the work of WAD, and we're very excited about this program. Well, if anyone could do it, you can. Oh, no. <laughs> in honor of our eighth year of diabetes podcasting, we're playing games and putting everyone into the hot seat, asking them a question related to diabetes wellness. 
Asher Brown, the founder of We Are Diabetes, and a spectacular actress who's going to be one of the leading ladies in this year's Diabetes Mystery Podcast, Swan Lake. Are you ready to go into the hot seat? I am. Do you think that insulin therapy should be encouraged rather than uh, used as a last, last line of treatment for people living with type 2 diabetes? Oh, I get my opinion. Oh, boy. Um, I, I do think it should be encouraged because I don't think that insulin is a bad thing. And I think when a body lacks appropriate amounts of insulin, the body should be given appropriate amounts of insulin. I love that answer. I mean, there's no wrong answer here. Patricia, Thank what do you, you want to say about that? We're we're asking <laughs> Asha Brown an opinion, and uh, there is a lot of research behind. There's newer stu- studies saying that combining rapid-acting insulin um, suggests better control for people living with type 2 diabetes who have failed using oral agents. Patricia? Oh, wait, I put her on pause. Patricia, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Yes, yes. We can hear you, Patricia. Okay, I totally agree with that. Um, insulin therapy should be used for those people who who need it, uh, even with type twos, especially if their A1Cs are not where they should be. That's the most important uh, thing: is keeping the blood sugars as close to normal as possible. Yes. And so, you know, whenever... I think what bothers me is that there's a stigma against using insulin. And that, to me, because I'm so uh, about this cause, insulin is not the enemy. It's a hormone that our body Absolutely. needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. We should give the body what it needs when it needs Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> and insulin yeah. is, is a normal, natural hormone, so it's not anything mm-hmm. foreign that you're injecting, although it is a synthetic insulin, but still, if the body is not able to use the insulin that uh, that it's making, or if more is right. required, then it should be used because you're you're um, impacting, uh, preventing, or at least slowing the progression of long-term complications. So if insulin is indicated, it definitely should be prescribed. Right. Asher Brown, thank you so much for being on tonight's show, and thank you for uh, being one of the actresses in next month's Swan Lake. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Max. It's always a pleasure. All right, everybody. We're going to play some more Christina Aguilera, but before we do, I just want to tell you that one of the themes in this year's mystery podcast is the Me Too movement, which I think uh, deserves as much attention as possible. And so I wanted to talk about it in the mystery podcast. And coincidentally, uh, Christina Aguilera recorded a Me Too anthem with Demi Lovato, who is doing well in her recovery, and we wish her well in recovery. So let's listen to Fall in Line by Christina Aguilera and Demi Lovato off of her Liberation album, courtesy of Sony Music.
Diamonds Ivy's Late Night. That's powerful voices of Demi Lovato and Christina Aguilera off of Christina Aguilera's new album, Liberation. Uh, that song, Fall in Line, is a Me Too movement anthem, and I chose to write about that theme in this year's Mystery Podcast because Divabetic, when it first started, was an organization for women living with diabetes, and I, I, I wanted to make sure we covered that topic this year and, of course, urge anyone who might be struggling with that to check out the very resources available online um, and if you can't find them, then reach out to me at mrdivabetic at gmail.com, and we'll help you make sure that everyone's safe and secure in the work environment that they're living in. All right, so I'm going to talk to, again to one of the leading ladies of uh, diabetes, and that's Patricia Addy Gentle. Welcome back to the show, Patricia. Hi, Max. Thanks for being a part of all the hot seat questions tonight. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be a part. This year's podcast, your character kind of um, take, goes right to the heart of the mystery and relates how managing your diabetes is a lot like solving the mystery. And one of the things you talk about is looking for patterns. And there are a lot of patterns in diabetes management. So I wanted to talk about this because uh, we're not giving anything away, but your character chooses to write down clues in a logbook. So there's a lot of thoughts around why someone would want to keep a logbook, and there's a lot of thoughts around why someone uh, would want to check their blood sugars. So I want you to give us the pros, and then I'm going to give you some of the cons, and you could tell us, uh, you could answer what, how you would resolve some of the more popular cons to wanting to check your blood sugars. Well, checking the blood sugar answers so many questions. Um, if a person is eating an unfamiliar meal or maybe trying something new or maybe it may be something that they do periodically um, all the time on a normal basis, it's still important to know what that particular food is doing to the blood. And so if the blood sugar is high, you don't have to necessarily stop eating what you're eating, but you may want to um, change the time of day that you're eating it or what you're doing surrounding that meal. You may want to exercise more or you may want to drink more water after it or you may want to think about the portion size. But there are various ways to eat the things that you enjoy, but the key is knowing exactly what's going on when you do eat it. And by doing that, you're more aware of what the body is doing, how well you're able to tolerate it, and what you should do throughout the day to maintain that blood sugar at a normal level. It makes sense to me, but then you find out the American Diabetes Association did a survey and found that 21% of adults living with type 1 diabetes never check their blood glucose. Those with insulin-treated type 2 diabetes, only 40, uh, 47%, excuse me, never monitored. And among those people living with type 2 diabetes who were not using insulin, 76% of them never check their blood sugar. One of the top reasons they don't check their blood sugar, and we talk about in the podcast, is because your meter makes you feel bad about yourself. You may have realized to your dismay that your meter results have become the way you judge your own self-worth. Whether you feel like a good person or a terrible person depends on your blood glucose levels. How would someone resolve that? That's well, it is unfortunate. Tonight. <laughs> yes, that is unfortunate, and, and so many people do describe that type of a feeling. But if they look at it as empowerment rather than um, a judgment, 
It's empowerment. It tells you a lot about what you're doing. Instead of looking at, okay, I did it wrong, look at uh, the fact that I can do it better. And so if that empowerment allows you to make better choices and to do things a little differently, then it's necessary. And it's indeed it's helpful, and it helps the person to have much better outcomes. I love it, and I feel like our final guest, Mama Rosemary, who's back on the show right now, uh, is going to talk a little bit about why someone might be struggling to be perfect and if there's uh, a tip or some advice to all those people who are perfectionists. Mama Rosemary, are you there? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to give my and, uh, tip. You know, you heard us talking about being perfect. Some of these numbers don't make sense, Definitely. and people get awfully frustrated. So I'm curious to know what your tip is this month. Sure. My tip this month is for people who strive to be perfectionists. Those are people who want the best in all things at all times. But don't get me wrong. It's not the the striving for excellence that is the problem. It's the distress caused by the, the perceived failure that's so undermining. Being a perfectionist and inflicting that on others is really a way of trying to control people. People don't like being controlled or coerced at all, at all, even if you know you feel that what is best for them. Remember, people are who they are, regardless of how you feel they should be. What makes a hum, us human are our mistakes and, yes, even our weaknesses. So um, hopefully we could be better and try not to be always perfect, but being human. So that's my clue for this month. Ciao for now. All right, ladies, you know what? The scripts have been sent out, listeners. Everyone's going to be rehearsing for next month's Diabetes Mystery Podcast entitled Swan Lake. I want to thank all my guests today, and especially thank you for tuning in for the past eight years. Next month we're going to be uh, acting out our newest show. I'm so excited. So please subscribe to our Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org. Visit our Facebook pages or check out my videos on Mr. Divabek's YouTube channel. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. We're going to close the show with one more song off of Christina Aguilera's new album, Liberation, courtesy of Sony Music. Here's Twice. Are you devil? Are you angel? Am I heaven? Am I hell? I can barely find the proof to save myself. Are you water? Are you fire? Are you filthy? Are you pure? Oh, I thought by now I know, but I'm not sure. Well, you're no angel. I never had to be. You're my danger. Cause I'm just what I need. But it's
sacrifice the most of my youth Is it treason, is it true That the worst I won't undo Only enemy I have in love is you Well, you're no way 